Now, I want to look at uh, not the whole of that passage, a very long passage. I just want to look at a few verses in that, uh, in that, long, uh, that long account of the birth of John the Baptist. Um, Luke 1, verse 77 to 79. So, again, if you want to uh, kind of consult the verses as I'm preaching, uh, you may find it helpful to look on page uh, 1018. 1018. And uh, I'm going to read it again. And in which uh, Zechariah has is praising God that John the Baptist is going to be testifying and witnessing to who Jesus is. And uh, so he says in verse 77, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. John the Baptist was, going to wit- was eventually going to witness to the phenomenal person of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice I've given the title, The Longest Darkest Shadow and the Brightest Ever Sunrise. That's actually talking about the state the world was in when Jesus came. And in fact, the state anybody is in without Christ and what happens when Christ comes into our lives, the brightest ever sunrise. Now, uh, I have occasionally uh, been, been told that I, I'm, I preach on dark subjects. And, well, actually, the Bible does preach about dark subjects, doesn't it? Um, it, it, does, it does speak about the horror of life as well as the joy of life. The longest shadow in the world, I've mentioned this just a few weeks ago, um, is, a, is a shadow of about 150, 160 miles long, a mountain that the sun uh, is blocked, and that shadow goes not just a few feet, like you know, our, our shadows from a human body goes a few feet. This goes 150, 150, 160 miles. But when I said it in the sermon, of course, I'd forgotten one factor. There is a larger shadow. Uh, but it's not from the. It's on the Earth, the shadow. But it doesn't come from the Earth, or it's not on it. It's the Moon itself, which is 250, 250,000 or 240,000 miles away, roughly, and it casts a shadow 105 miles wide, and 75 miles thick in, in its densest part. That's a physical shadow, but the Bible doesn't talk here about a physical shadow. It's talking about a spiritual shadow that is over the whole of humanity. And, uh, I mean, I, I was thinking about this. Uh, what, what spiritual shadow lies over humanity? What shadows lie over humanity, say, in my lifetime? Well, let's start with just history rather than the spiritual shadow, which I am going to talk about. Now, I can remember when I was a kid in the United States... We used to do drills for nuclear war, 1958-59. It may have been because I lived in Arlington, which is near Washington. Maybe that was thought of as a target center. I don't know whether it was common all over the United States. All I know as a kid was that all, all the kids in the school, the elementary school, which means primary school, we used to have to go down the stairs 
into the area, uh, kind of underground area, which uh, basement area, which uh, also was the area where the school cafeteria was. And all of us had to crawl under these tables, you know, hundreds of kids all crawling under the tables, the drill for nuclear war happening. And there was fear. There was fear. I mean, that, that was when the fear of nuclear war first got into my, into my own kind of mind. And, of course, the fear of nuclear war, the, the mushroom cloud, the fear that it was all going to end, well, it carried on, not just from 1958. 1963, we were on the brink of nuclear war, very, very close to nuclear war in the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I, I again mentioned in the sermon a year or two back of being on a... I, w- I lived on a, a, a military base next to a, a NATO command centre in Northwood. And I remember getting the bus in the morning and as a 11-year... What was I? 11-year-old uh, thinking, I might not get back from school today because I'll be evaporated in a nuclear explosion. Now, during the 60s... you got, Now... This fear of nuclear weapons was also reflected in movements like the CND. And hundreds of thousands of people gathered for demonstration around a ban nuclear weapons. Although, of course, Britain banning nuclear weapons didn't remove the threat that someone might drop a bomb on us. <laughs> so it always seemed a bit, you know, one-sided, that whole thing. Uh, you know, because uh, as time went on, there was a time of detente, it was called. And suddenly, the fear of nuclear weapons went away. That was during the 1970s. Then it got ramped up again. When the, when under, in, the, in the 80s, when both sides, the Russians and the Americans, were creating new cruise missiles and SX-20s the Russians had. And then people started getting really worried again. And then there were massive demonstrations against nuclear weapons. And of course, today, it seems hardly anybody's really worried about it at all. And yet we're closer now than ever to nuclear, to nuclear destruction. Now, actually, the kind of, well, I'm not bothered about it really, which is what people have towards nuclear destruction. Actually, this is mirrored in a spiritual blindness to the terrible nature of the spiritual darkness that awaits mankind. Because being in the grip of spiritual darkness... The hopelessness, sitting in the darkness in the shadow of death, which uh, the Bible talks about, is a reality, the Bible says. And most people from day to day, they're not worried about it. The Bible tells us that there is a dark shadow lying over us, which is not nuclear Armageddon, but the soul's Armageddon. Uh, One day, every single person will face the threat of not being wiped off from the face of the earth by a nuclear explosion, but being cast away from the presence of God in eternal destruction. And that is worse, because after all, you only die once, don't you? Um, Whether it's by a bullet, a heart attack, a car accident, or a nuclear explosion, you only die once. But the Bible says that eternal destruction is forever. And on that day, the day of judgment, We will face the threat of forever living with our own memories of our own wretched life without God, being conscious of being under the just judgment of God, of being cast away forever, knowing that God has totally rejected us forever. 
and we have rejected him. That is the longest and deepest shadow cast over every single person in the world that people don't even realize about. But look, I said, you know, talking about dark subjects, I wouldn't actually have said what I've just said this now, actually, about nuclear weapons uh, if, uh, if many children were here, because uh, that in itself is, is something that can really depress people and really get people down. I would have to say what I've said, though, about heaven and hell to anybody, because that's what the Bible tells me to do as a preacher. I would prefer not to, to talk about this dreadful and awful thing. But this is a permanent spiritual threat. But what I want to say is this, is that this prophecy tells us that people sitting under this threat, in the, in the shadow of darkness, those sitting in darkness, in the shadow of death, God has come and given us light in Christ. There is hope. There is rescue. There is salvation. And uh, I want to talk about that uh, in due course. But I want to firstly say, what what about a solution that perhaps we might have already, not in Christ, but in something or someone else? You meet people who are religious. And they think that they're, they're ready for the, the day of, uh, of judgment. They think they're ready for, for, uh, to, to come before God because they feel that, on the whole, balancing out their good works overweigh their bad life. And they will say, yes, well, I, you know, I pray and I, I go to holy places. I worship. I give um, uh, to charity. Uh, I... Um, I, I, I may do fasting I may do all kinds of things and I think overall even though yeah, there's bad things I've got actually overall I'm, a, I'm, I'm pretty good and God will take me into heaven now I want us to imagine here imagine there was a slave owner in the 18th century who was a pretty wicked bloke owned a plantation of a thousand slaves had beaten 60 to death or maybe 100 to death and had generally lived on the misery of the people that he had exploited. And then, supposing, uh, he then, uh, for various reasons, decided, oh, I know I'm going to pay reparations to all these people I've enslaved. And then what he did was, he had a great big chest of cash, which was worth billions of dollars, even in those days. Oh, a million dollars for each, each person that I've, 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 I've hurt. Well, that's something, isn't it? Except, what if it was counterfeit cash? <laughs> what is the point of someone offering some counterfeit cash as reparations, compensation, for something that is a really serious crime against humanity? It doesn't make any sense, does it? But, you know, the Bible says, God says, that religious people often are offering counterfeit reparations for their sins. God says this, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. And often, well, we talk, all of us here who, who, who are believers know that it's true, that often we may be talking to God, but our minds are somewhere else. Often our motivation is stained by selfishness, by pride, by wanting to you know, appear to be good to other people, so we're keen God says, through one of his prophets, the prophet Isaiah, all of your righteousness is as filthy rags. And on the day of judgment, 
If we think we can go, into, go before God and we can put on the scales of his judgment against all the sins we've done in our life, our stained, useless religious acts, which are permeated by our own selfishness and sinfulness, and we can make up for the things that we've done wrong, we are, we're totally deluded. That's why Paul says, uh, actually, um, that um, don't you realize that by your impenitent heart, by your, your, your refusal to be sorry for what you've done, your refusal to turn to Christ, you're just storing up for yourself punishment on the day of judgment. So it's a, it, it's a pretty enormous problem that faces everyone. The sinners of this world, those who are out with prostitutes tonight, getting drunk, taking drugs, that's a problem for them, the day of judgment. But it is also a problem for every religious person in this country and in the world who thinks that they can get to, to God on the day of judgment and find themselves innocent before him when we are stained by, by sin. But you see, this is where this wonderful message, you know, the longest, darkest shadow, the fear of judgment, is destroyed, that shadow, by the brightest ever sunrise, the brightest ever shining light that is in Jesus Christ. The double whammy against the dark future is what uh, we're told by Zechariah in verse uh, 70, 78. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. The tender mercy. Now, the word in the Greek is two words for mercy. It's a kind of a doubling of the force of what is being talked about. Now, mercy is where you have sorrow on someone who's in trouble. Or it could be someone who's sinned against you. And uh, the prophecy is kind of saying, God's merciful mercy. And indeed... Uh, the word that is used, one of the words that's used, is one of the words that's used about Jesus when he saw, he saw a, a leper, uh, and, and and his heart was, it told, he felt bowels of mercy. It's an old expression, you know, which is basically saying a wave of love, not just was in his mind towards this man, but a wave of love went through his whole being. Just like, I guess, when someone you know, first falls in love and feels those emotions. It's not just in your mind, it's everywhere. You feel love. And Jesus had this tremendous love for a man that's in need. And the Bible tells us this, that God has this wave of love going through him. He's full of merciful mercy to those who are the worst of sinners. And uh, so it says, because of the tender mercy. Of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Because, you see, the thing is this, this sunrise from on high is uh, the, way, the wonderful way in which God has made provision for us. Um, you know, it says, the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Again, this is a, a word in the Greek, which means visit in order to help someone. Normally we think of visitors just as, oh, yeah, we have a visitor, someone coming to to look at a city, or maybe they're visitors to our house, we've never met them if I have a coffee. But the particular meaning of this is, God has come to help. God has come to help. God has, sees the terrible situation human beings in because of the threat of eternal punishment, of the judgment seat of God, and he's come to help us.
Earlier on, Zechariah had said in verse 68, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's come on a mission of help and aid for those who are in trouble. Now, how, how does he do this? Well, um, already we're told that uh, John, um, in verse 77, John would give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Now, we know that that was one of the, the great ministries of John the Baptist, was to, to proclaim that salvation was possible. There was forgiveness of sins to be found, but the person that was coming after him was the one who was bringing it. John prepared the way for Jesus. And uh, in, in this case, uh, what, we're, what we're told is that basically, um, this knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of their sins is coming to us precisely in the situation of we're in the courthouse. We're on the judgment day. We have to give an account for how we've lived. Well, we have this problem. Well, I've, I've, I've done these things wrong, specific things that are wrong. The Bible tells us there's a cosmic law that the result of sin is death. Now, I don't know if you know any science. I don't know that much. But, uh, I, you know, one of the laws of, um, of motion, of Newton's laws of motion, is to every action there is equal and opposite reaction. Now, what it basically means, it's, this, this law is, is the one that uh, enables jet planes to fly. It enables, uh, it enables uh, uh, rockets uh, to go into space. It means that if, if there is uh, an action, supposing I'm, I've got a, a, a basketball in my hand, and I decide to throw it at that clock over there, and wham, with great force. Now, the... Um, if I'm standing here, I'll do it, and basically I'm not moving backwards. Well, that's because basically my, my feet are planted on the floor, and friction and this desk will prevent me moving, well, in fact, the door will prevent me moving very far, very farther back anyway. So, so basically, I've made an action, but I seem to have gone away with it. No, but that's because actually the friction of my shoes and everything is keeping me still. If I was on roller skates and I did that, I actually would go back on the roller skates. You can try it out. That's how it is. It's a law. It's a law. It's one of the reasons why, um, as I said, jet planes work. To every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. To every sin that we do, we don't get away with it. It has to be accounted for on the day of judgment. To every sin, the result is death. And we therefore will inherit a lifetime of sin a, a, a constant, a constant forever uh, punishment of sin in hell. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says God has done something about it. When we were weak, when we were helpless, Christ died for us. And what happens? When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God made us alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all of our breaking of God's law. Now that's from the Bible, Colossians 2.13. Having forgiven us all our breaking of God's law by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Now, you may be at home or sitting in the church and you may be thinking about, yeah, well, I have done this, I've done this wrong, I've done this. There's a great long list of things you know that are wrong. The Bible says, when Jesus died on the cross, 
He cancelled out your debt. He cancelled all of those sins. They no, if you trust in him, they no longer will exist against you. They won't stand against you. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now, it, it said uh, when a bill was paid, and this oft, certainly did often happen in past history, uh, shopkeepers, when a bill was paid, they used to they, they, they'd keep, keep the bill normally, but once it was paid, they'd have a nail on their desk and bang, it went onto the nail, and that showed that that bill that was, that was owed had been paid. It no longer, no longer stood against the person that owed it. And when Jesus Christ was nailed on the cross, your sins were nailed into him so that you don't no longer have the debt. You're free. You're forgiven. On the day of judgment, there is no condemnation for you. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is incredible, isn't it? On the day of judgment, which is, as I said, a terrible shadow, a terrible threat to us, to our spiritual futures. Actually, if you trust in Christ, your sins are forgiven and taken away. We have peace with God, therefore. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is a wonderful and spectacular sunrise for the soul. If you, if you accept it, if you accept this wonderful uh, this wonderful fact and receive Jesus Christ personally, then you will have peace with God. And actually, as it says uh, in verse 79, uh, to give light to those in sit, sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The Lord wants you, if, you, if you're thinking about becoming a believer, thinking about becoming a Christian, he wants you to receive his forgiveness, his new life, and guide you into the way of peace. You know, it's an unknown future, making a step of becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. It's like, well, whoa, you know, what am I going to do? Well, the answer is this. God will guide you into the ways of peace. Peace with God for eternity and in this life. Peace with your fellow human beings insofar in as you... You, you, uh, you can, you will, you will forgive, you will at least be pe- at peace with other people because you can forgive other people now. And you will be at peace in the way you're living. You can live in peace and in joy and in the Holy Spirit. I mean, who cares about having a million in the bank if you're completely <laughs> bereft of anything in your heart? <laughs> what, what is the point, you know, of, of living your life out for for ambitions, for this, that, and the other, if actually, inwardly, you're empty of any comfort for eternity, let alone for this life. Now, you might say, well, look, I am interested. I, w- I would like to know. I would like to know this, um, this forgiveness. I would like to know uh, this peace of God. Well, how, therefore, do I... How, how can I... How can I receive this? Now, you may have heard of Dr. Bernardo. Uh, he, in the 19th century, he ran a, an orphanage, and now there's a charity called Dr. Bernardo's that is a children's charity. But uh, we're told that once a, um, a dirty, ragged little um, boy turned up at, um, at his orphanage, and he asked, I, I would like to, uh, I'd like to become part of your orphanage, sir. Now, Dr. Manalva looked at this young chap 
covered in dirt, rags, skinny, because he hadn't eaten properly. And he said, um, ever so um, sorry, I'm afraid I don't know you, and normally we have to have a recommendation for you, uh, for you to come in. Now, this boy was uh, cl- clever <laughs> and smart, as well as in need, and he said this. He took his, he took his coat off, which was just rags, and he, and he said, look, I thought this is all the recommendation I would need, sir, except he'd said it in presumably a Cockney accent. His rags, his filth, his need was his recommendation. And you know, that is all it takes for you to become, to come to God in Jesus Christ, trusting him. Is come to Jesus and say, Lord, here are my sins. I need forgiveness. Here's my emptiness. I need filling. Here are my problems in my life. I need your help. And he will take you in. So he promised. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. That's what Jesus said. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And, well, he will guide your feet into the way of peace. So I, I would say to us all tonight, let's, uh, let's come to the Lord, bring him our needs, and trust him. And let's thank the Lord that although there is a dark shadow um, over mankind, the coming judgment, there is a super sunrise that has already started to, uh, to bring light and life uh, to many of us. And let's spread this message around. Uh, let's just uh, pray for a second, then we'll sing the last song. Oh, Father in heaven, we do thank you for what you've done in Jesus Christ for us. And we ask you, help us to trust you, Lord. Give us faith that we may depend upon you. Lord, take away the blindness from our eyes. Help us to turn away from our sins of the past and receive Jesus as Lord of our lives. And uh, we pray, Lord, that both uh, people online who may be listening, people in the church who don't yet have faith, we ask you, Lord, please help them to come to you tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.